It is said that in many film units, especially when there is a long outdoor schedule in a remote place where the whole unit is cut off, the experience is often so exciting and rewarding. The bonding and everything gives them such a high that when they return to their lives back home, they have severe adjustment problems to the flatness. They suffer from serious depression to the extent of needing therapy. If the goal has deep meaning to your life and is tough enough that it will consume your whole life with no guarantee of success, if it can have you dedicate your life to it, you experience a mix of both these different highs. Because such a life will have moments of surprise, achievement, and at other times, you have to know how to stay anchored. This is where the art of life comes in. This is when you won't need depression therapy after you have come back from that exciting film set. Because a whole bunch of here and now chemicals begin to kick in and give you a different kind of joy. The art of life is about how to experience the joys of here and now, the small things. Specifically, one, how to enjoy activities where you don't profit, like a game of cricket in the courtyard. Two, how to enjoy routine tasks, like in times where it has become normal to say, I am bored of everything from a toothbrush to the car, Enjoying even regular routine tasks, activities is important to not fall into boredom. Three, how to accept boredom. Some of the greatest ideas have come when someone has allowed himself or herself to get comfortable with one's boredom or a lack of purpose. How to create events do new things, get different kinds of exposure. And five, how to not react and get caught up in likes and dislikes which can disturb you. But how do we remember all of this? It's not possible. And that is what the gold state does. It ties up your entire life for you. For Cezanne, it was his desire to paint the unpaintable. How do you live only with a male attendant, with no new highlights of the day except for the work itself? He had immersed his whole life into that single desire. He kept waking up with a fire. He kept surprising himself. And in flatter times of the day, he had his beloved mountain, his deep affection for nature. His endocannabinoid and serotonin supply was ensured in this way. This brings us to the second question. How do we account for yogis who sit for days, let alone hours, without moving? Let's take our mental health story forward 
in trying to answer this question. The last segment. We came across this story. A wandering monk passed by the courtyard of a monastery where he heard two groups of monks arguing about the temple flag fluttering in the breeze. It is a flag that moves, one group argued. No, it is a wind that moves, argued the other group. Back and forth they argued, responding to the logic of the other side, coming up with new rationale for their respective positions. But it just came down to, it is the wind that moves, it is the flag that moves. After listening for a while, the monk interrupted them and said, If you look more closely, you will see that it is neither the flag nor the wind that moves. What moves is your mind? Like you saw in part one, the key to understanding depression, anxiety, mania, mood swings, paranoia, hallucinations, seems not to be in studying a full-blown case of mental illness, not even in studying the intense depression that follows a period of grief, separation, failure or retirement. The key seems to be in noticing the small things, like how eating at fixed times, even when you're not hungry, is sowing the seeds of a disconnect. To be able to do this, we have to ignore the signals coming from our body. And when we ignore them, the signals get louder. This happens in every mental imbalance. We might believe in a 24-hour cycle, but the moon cycle is closer to 23 hours. The sun is not exactly on a 365-day cycle. There is dynamism in nature because of certain non-exactness. It allows us room to interact, to notice, for seasons to occur, for wisdom to bloom through thousands of flowers of different hues, shapes and fragrances. Diabetes begins with insulin resistance, where the cells lose their sensitivity to insulin because we have kept eating throughout the day. So is it with acidity, with gastritis, with any form of inflammation, mental disease too, is an inflammation of the mind. We have seen so many exercises like that, mice on the running wheel. Soon as they force themselves in the name of not being sedentary or in the name of losing weight, the stress of an involuntary exertion eventually makes you lose interest. It is not just lack of interest. It is a seed of depression, of low energy. A research paper by Boston University School of Medicine titled Benefits of Exercise for the Clinically Depressed says that the focus should be on doing exercise regularly rather than duration or intensity of the session until the change in behavior from depression to normal has been well established, which means don't push the rat. It also says 
The addition of self-monitoring techniques may increase awareness of the benefits of exercise involvement, which adds to the success of the recovery. Self-monitoring referred to here could be in terms of devices, and that is where technology is driving the wellness industry. But we would like to read this differently. The exercise and healing component of yoga is called asana, posture. And the key to asana is being aware of everything that is going on. So as we enter into deeper practice, rather than working on muscle precision, we move towards taking our awareness to the very tips of our body. Tips of the fingers, toes, ankles, knees, spine, shoulders, elbows, nostrils, eyeballs. And then we enter into certain vital points which has a lot of mental activities associated with them like the soles of the feet, palms, chest, lips, temples. We take our attention to the entire spinal cord, to the pathway of the breath from the nostrils to the lungs. Slowly, we start entering every cell of the body. This process is called nyas, a method by which we can literally be present in every cell. There is a famous room in one of the palaces of Rajasthan. On every surface of the walls of this room and the ceiling are stuck small convex mirrors. So when you enter there, you will get a feeling of being watched by a million you. Like this, entering every cell, we use the Vayu of the body, which is the principle of presence. So this is how we slowly engage the mind. Then there can be nothing called depression left. Asana here is the art of giving our body attention noticing the signs. The signals from the body do not have to be so strong anymore as you are now listening. In fact, you can become very familiar with the signaling. You can anticipate. And anticipation is a very powerful intervention in the nervous system. It is like surprising your own body. And just as we get rewarded by a dopamine high, when they get a good score in a test, this anticipation too does not go unrewarded. Right where you were supposed to feel a low, it gets transmuted into a high. You have learned how to switch circuits from pain to reward for the same event, irrespective of what the event is. So how do yogis sit for days without any exercise? because they have achieved asana siddhi, mastery of asana, which means 
that they have learned to control the biochemical pathways of pain and reward and have gone deeper into being able to control the metabolic processes of the body. So we can leave our discussion here where we hope that you have a good understanding of exercise and an inkling of how asana is a little different from exercise. In part 4, we will pick up the threads with seeing how to realize the goal state and how asana is a protocol for that and not mere physical postures. Badi geharisi ijazat mangti hai khushi. Badi geharisi ijazat mangti hai khushi. Rahe rehnumai iski sada sarakho. A very deep permission is asked of us by happiness. May it guide and lead the way above everything else. Lots of love.